Hello, and welcome to the Well-Spoken Podcast, where transformational leaders explore the mindsets, motivations, and methodologies of impact-driven businesses. I am your host, Dr. Delray Messer, doctor of chiropractic, social impact entrepreneur, mom of two, and a go-giver, empowering you through the stories of leaders who dare to challenge the status quo and collaborate to co-create an equitable and sustainable future together. Welcome to episode 10 of the Well-Spoken Podcast. Do you know where your chocolate comes from and how it's produced? Have you considered the ethical implications of choosing fair trade chocolate? Today's guest, Yoka, is growing Tony's Open Chain, founded by Tony's Chocolonely. At Tony's, they believe that five sourcing principles, 100% traceable beans, paying a higher price that enables a living income, strong farmers, long-term relationships, and quality and productivity form the foundation of bringing equality into the cocoa value chain. They want to inspire other chocolate brands to do the same by joining them in their way of working in the open chain and becoming mission allies. Together, Tony believes that we can change the norm in the chocolate industry. Yoka has over 20 years of both field and market experience in nonprofit, sustainable agriculture work, and sustainability standards, Rainforest Alliance, FSC, RSPO, and Fair Trade. When she isn't fighting for sustainable livelihoods and land use, you can find Yoka with her head in a book, in the kitchen cooking something probably Japanese or Korean lately, or getting some fresh air with her sketchbook in hand. We connected on our passion for sustainability and a planet that we both believe everybody deserves, equality and equity. All right, transformational leaders, you are in for a treat with this interview. I know many of you have shared with me that you feel so validated hearing stories of women that are aligned with impact-driven businesses and careers, and we have a very special guest. Yoka today is going to share her story with us and how she ended up in the career that she is, very passionate about social impact and conscious business. So welcome to the Well-Spoken Podcast, Yoka. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Tell us a little bit about what brought you to where you are today, your story, where you're from, where you are in the world right now. We're so excited to learn about you. Yeah, thanks. Um, well, I currently work for a company called um, Tony Chocolonely, and I will talk more uh, about that. But um, essentially, at Tony's, what I'm doing is, um, so Tony Chocolonely, we say it's uh, not a chocolate company that makes impact. It's an impact company that makes chocolate. So our raison d'etre, the reason why we exist, is uh, to change uh, some of the systemic injustices that exist in the cocoa industry. Um, but we don't try to do that just for our brand. We try to do it for other chocolate brands. So we're really trying to make sort of a sweeping change. Um, and yeah, th- there's a, a lot going on there. And I, I want to talk more about it. But how did I get here? It's actually, I've been here for four years now. It's my first time working for a for-profit organization, which I think is really interesting, but also speaks to what's happening in the world now. You know, the idea of business as a force for good. Um, I'm very much a nonprofit person for the last, uh, before these four years, I spent 20 years working for NGOs, really around sustainable land land use, sustainable um, livelihoods in tropical um, commodities. So coffee, tea, cocoa, bananas. 
and that grows in Central America, East and West Africa, um, India, Sri Lanka, you know, South Asia. Um, and I spent a lot of years, many years, actually um, traveling uh, to these places, working directly with um, farmers, either smallholder farmers uh, organized into a cooperative or large plantation owners who might have thousands of workers uh, living and, and earning a living on the um, on the plantation. So really with all different aspects of uh, tropical agriculture. Um, I also spent a bunch of years um, in Europe connecting brands to more sustainable value chains. Um, so, I, And I basically worked in the space of third-party certification. So I worked for the Rainforest Alliance. I've worked for Fairtrade. Um, I haven't worked for Organic. I've worked for Forest Stewardship Council, Roundtable for Sustainable Palm Oil. Basically, if there was a nonprofit trying to have some kind of positive say about how land is used and how that um, that supply chain is organized. Um, I worked for it. Um, and it, to work at Tony Shukalumi is a bit of a natural evolution to that because now I'm no longer in the nonprofit sector, but I am a company within that supply chain really trying to change the way that um, not so much that cocoa is grown, though we certainly work a lot with farmers, uh, but really about the responsibilities of companies engaged in that supply chain and what we can take responsibility for, what we can rectify. Um, and I feel really passionate about that. So grateful. It sounds like a noble cause. And sometimes there are people that challenge that, like how can that actually exist in business, right? When it's been done one way for so long for profit, um, and that triple bottom net, right? The people and the planet over profit and not necessarily over, but in alignment with, right? And I think our conversations and, you know, really what you added to our classroom setting as a classmate of mine was truly that and very inspiring to be able to follow that path. And I believe that there are so many um, so many more of us that want to align with conscious businesses. And it's truly never been more relevant and a relevant time. So how do you define social impact and measure the success of a social enterprise? Yeah, I mean, there is a saying um, within uh, Tony's, amongst Tony's, we call ourselves Tony's. It's, um, uh, but Tony's do tend to say, you know, there, there shouldn't be such a thing as a social enterprise. Every enterprise should be social and it should be the enterprises who are not contributing um, and, and mitigating their footprint. They should just be called out as being called an asocial or an antisocial enterprise. So like change the narrative. And I think that's really a lot of what we try to do is change the narrative and lead with the why, question the why. So we know in Coco that um, that child labor is a massive issue. It's extremely prevalent. Uh, most cocoa farmers are living vastly under the poverty line, and uh, the majority of deforestation in West Africa is led by cocoa because of cocoa. So then you have to ask the question, how... What is okay in the supply chain? Everybody enjoys and loves chocolate. Chocolate is a luxury product, uh, right? It's, I mean, it's a treat. It's not something you have to have. So there should be no, I mean, really in any supply chain, uh, but I think in chocolate, especially that difference between this is a treat, something you do that makes you feel good, but it should make the planet feel good. It should make the farmers who are growing that um, cocoa for your chocolate. It should be fair to them. And just the way the cocoa industry is set up with a couple very, big players right in the middle there, um, really determining what that whole supply chain looks like. Um, things are going really askew. And I really love working somewhere where we're trying to put that into question, challenging it, um, speaking out about it, um, being really transparent about what we're doing, uh, but also critically, and also really my job here, 
um, to invite other brands to join us. So I think any time you have a social enterprise and you have a mission and you see uh, uh, something that you want to rectify, change, lead the change, lead that change for yourself, but lead it for others as well. Powerful. And your current role has revealed the current reality of the cocoa industry. Uh, Paint a picture for us. How would a world that put farmers first create equity and sustainability? Yeah. Um, Well, currently, 60% of the world's cocoa is grown in West Africa. um, And all of those farmers are smallholder farmers. So you have, um, I think, something like 2.6 million cocoa farmers growing most of our cocoa. We know that child labor is around, that the the current numbers are about 1.56 million children in child labor. And I'm not talking about child work, I'm talking about child labor, work that is um, uh, too arduous, that is hazardous to health, that makes kids miss school. Um, And that's not because farmers want that for their children, but because cocoa is so, it's a, it's a, it's a, traded on the world market as a commodity. Farmers have absolutely no say on what prices they get for cocoa, and it's just fundamentally underpriced. We also know that productivity is really, really low for West African cocoa farmers. And so in order to eke out a little bit more money, there's the tendency to encroach and encroach and sort of illegally expand um, the boundaries of the farm. Um, So that's the situation. Um, And yeah, one of the things, uh, I think that we can really change that. We can change it by uh, fundamentally paying cocoa farmers more for their cocoa. So we've calculated a price that enables a living income. You can't just throw premium on somebody and and have all the income uh, go up. There's a whole program around working on productivity, um, diversification, uh, enabling the community to uh, create awareness about what child labor is, and then also having a remediation process. There's a whole there's a whole approach we call it the five sourcing principles. And I won't get into all the details because it gets quite technical. But very fundamental part of it is paying a higher price for this raw material. And the cost of cocoa is such a small part of a chocolate bar. Um, this really should be something that we can do as an industry. So Tony Sugar only exists to show that we can do that. We can make tasty chocolate that people want to buy uh, paying this price for cocoa. And we are basically putting that, um, that view out there uh, for others to join. So we concretely ask competing chocolate companies to collaborate with us on cocoa. So we compete on the supermarket shelf. Uh, but we don't compete on child labor. We don't compete on deforestation. That's something that just as as a cocoa business, we should agree we are eradicating. Uh, we compete on, you know, the tastiest chocolate and we collaborate on the ground uh, with cocoa farmers. And we're starting to see, you know, this is the fourth year that Tony's has left, has had their, um, their, uh, their program open for others to join. Um, and one of the things we got to report on this year that was really exciting was uh, in the five cooperatives that we've been working with for over three years, we've seen child labor prevalency go from 46%, so 46% of children in child labor drop down to 4.4%, which is amazing. Still a few children in child labor, right? We still have a lot of work to do. But that to me is a so encouraging. And so like, this is a solvable problem if we work together and we have a very multidimensional aspect um, of, of what we're doing. So there's a tendency in, in my world to really focus on productivity or really focus on diversification and other income or women's development, you know, um, or just pay a little bit of premium. And all of these have elements of what you need to do, but it's really an integrated approach and then critically doing it together and doing it at scale. And I really believe that we can make a change. It's really powerful. Tell me your strategy around 
collaboration and what that looks like. Think of all of the industries that need a new perspective, right, on this. And and all of us working together sounds like, uh, again, a concept that maybe isn't achievable in certain industries, but you have proven um, those numbers are astounding. Share with us how that works. What is your strategy for connecting with others in the industry and how do, or why do you believe that they're getting on board now? Yeah. Well, in terms of a strategy of implementation, it, it is very important to be very clear between the difference between where you compete and where you collaborate. Um, and, you know, for us very clearly, the inequalities in chocolate are at cocoa. So we collaborate on cocoa and then we can compete on chocolate. So being very clear makes everybody who's involved much more comfortable. Um, and another thing I think is important is there's a tendency in collaborations or sort of you know, covenant signed by multiple parties to steer towards the lowest common denominator or the the least scary thing. And I really believe in steering into the most scary thing. Um, so it's really critical that you're you're going towards um, you know, best in class implementation, best in class results, and that's gonna sweep people um, along and motivate to join. So it's on us to really communicate what we're doing, the results that we're seeing, um, and to make sure that really the governance around the whole program and the decisions that we make, that it is to be the most impactful as opposed to middle of the ground impactful, which can happen if you you know you can you can dilute a message if a lot of people um, uh, if people who are scared to act uh, join and sort of uh, make us less ambitious. So on us, the need to stay very, very ambitious, uh, really scrutinize what we're doing and really communicate on it very, very well. What has been, or what do you believe has shaped your consciousness around a sustainable and equitable business model? Was this something that you were passionate about at a young age? Was it something that was talked about in your family? Did you have a mentor or influence of some some kind that has really shaped this perspective? One thing, just like very much on my personal life now, one thing that really opened up my world was um, studying abroad in college. So I'm, I have an American accent, but I'm actually Belgian. Um, so I'm Dutch speaking. My native tongue is um, uh, Flemish, which is a, a version of Dutch. I live in Amsterdam. Uh, my husband is um, American, but he's of Indian origin. So it's like very multicultural. And I just had this assumption growing up like that, having grown up in Belgium, moved to the U.S. for um, for college. Like, oh, I'm so international, you know. Um, I am very worldly. First of all, nobody's worldly when they're 18 years old. <laughs> to be real about that. And so for my study abroad um, experience, I was like, okay, what is, I could go to Paris, I could go to London, or I could do something totally out of the box and out of the blue. Um, and I really encourage my children to do that, to, you know, do unexpected things. I was like, okay, what is a country that I know absolutely nothing about? And um, I will freely tell you that I did not know the country of Mali existed when I was 19. But I was like, I looked at the map, I'm like, I'll study abroad in Mali. Never heard of it. Let's go there. Um, and that was a, such an eye opener. I, I lived there for nine months with a host family. I studied with the School for International Training. And I just realized how big the world is, how many different perspectives and opinions there are. Um, that was already a super valuable um, lesson for me. I think that when I came from there, I knew I wanted to do something around uh, 
empowering women, uh, women's development. Um, actually, at the time, I thought women's voices in politics uh, because I you could just see that women really drive uh, change within their families, but also increasingly uh, and very much in other venues. Uh, I'm also really inspired by women. I always seek out um, other women to be inspired by. Uh, but then I had the luck of starting to work at Fair Trade and realizing that there were NGOs out there that were really trying to um, leverage um, businesses and what they could do. And a mentor of mine, uh, his name was Chris Willie at the Rainforest Alliance. He always used to say, you know, we should drive uh, boycotts, not boycotts. So really also leading with positivity that you steer your attention towards things that are good as opposed to overly focusing or criticizing on things that are negative, like what change do you want to see? Can you make that change happen? And can you, can you flow, um, can you flow work towards there? So those are some things that shaped me. Powerful. Thank you for sharing. Um, and obviously living a life like this and being intentional in your career, it doesn't come without challenges or forward failure. So do you have any professional or personal challenges or failures that have also helped shape who you are? I think increasingly, um, I want to see a world where a lot of this um, thought leadership and the shaping and changing of supply chains is coming from uh, the countries of origin, the countries that are uh, growing it themselves. So I'm very enthusiastic about um, you know what what uh, uh, what the relevant stakeholders uh, in West Africa think and how they want to drive things forward. I've seen initiatives like that in tea in India. Um, you can see it in palm oil coming out of Malaysia and Indonesia. Uh, so I think that's really important, and that means that you know when I was in my twenties and, and early thirties, I traveled all around, basically um, you know managing programs, uh, doing training. Um, programs, but really that work needs to be done uh, locally. It shouldn't be driven from here uh, in the North. And I think that that's a, that's not a failure, but it's a, as you grow, you really need to take, put those pieces into place and make sure that, um, that, you know, all voices are heard and the relevant voices are heard. I think that's important. I think something else I've noticed about myself, my own personal um, work life is that I really like building new things. I like uh, building a new structure, a new uh, a new vision, um, uh, new ways of working. Um, and then when it becomes really big, um, I there are other people who are better at that. Um, so the I haven't done a lot of changes in my career, but I have noticed that when things get um, really big and scaled, then I think, okay, now there are people who are really good at managing um, that. And the fun thing is that here at Tony's, I'm still very much in the building phase, and that's really, really fun. I love that. I can relate to that, that building right? vision. <laughs> yes, building something new is so exciting. Um, scary, but exciting. And I think that uh, level of curiosity just keeps you going and um, keeps it interesting and exciting. And then, like you said, it gets to a certain level and it, it almost loses that intimacy. I think that was part of it for me. Um, in yeah. the growth and scale phase, I like those in, that intimate, meaningful start. So I relate to that. You're also a working... I'm not a little bad about it. But I had a, you know, I mean, for science, I had one of the last things I did was raise like millions uh, for this fund, a multi-year project uh, to do work in India. And I was so excited because it felt very validating. You know, the Global Environment Fund really believes in what we're doing, what we've set up here. And then I realized I don't really want to manage it. So, you know, there's a, but, you know, everybody has their their strength. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And speaking of that, you're a working mom. So I wanted to dive into what that looks like for you. I remember vividly 
in the classroom, you had said something about you were set up at home um, for a while during COVID, remote work, some of the challenges that you faced with electricity and other, you know, natural resources. So can you just paint us a picture of what that's looked like for you in the past um, few years and how you find uh, work-life integration and well-being? Um, with my oldest, so I have a 10-year-old, oh, sorry, she's 11 now, 11, mm -hmm. a 7, and 4. And um, when my 11-year-old, when my first one was born, I was still, I mean, I literally traveled um, three weeks out of the month. Um, that's, you know, and I just didn't adjust for when I was pregnant with her or when I had her. I just thought, oh, well, she'll just, I'll just tie her onto my back. And, um, you know, I went to Mexico with her. I went to Sri Lanka with her. I, it was, it was, that was crazy. Actually. I, I didn't really, I didn't stop to think um, how motherhood would affect my, my, uh, my work life. And there was a necessary really pulling back um, of all that travel also dovetailing with what I said before, where really uh, programs need to be programs in India need to be implemented by. Um, so I am actually really proud of all the hires I did um, in India and Sri Lanka and East Africa but that was really a shock to the system. So integrating motherhood into my work life was, was actually really quite difficult. It took me this reason there's four years until the next one was born. <laughs> and COVID hit when my little one was, you know, nearly two. So, oh my God, that was so hard. It was so hard. And everybody had to transition to, you know, video calls. So my, my oldest is, you know, has barely used a computer, is now expected to be in Google Classroom and it was really hard, <laughs> like traumatizing. I know I'm not the only one who went through all that, but the Netherlands had some very, very, very severe um, shutdowns of schools multiple times over the course of two years. I'm now in a phase where um, my littlest one is not so little anymore. I'm holding on to the last shreds of his babyhood. Um, I'm very organized at home. Uh, I have all my systems and everything it's set in place. But yeah, bigger kids also need your attention in bigger ways. You know, it's not about changing diapers anymore. It's really about um, sort of guiding kids on their choices and how they feel about themselves. And it's a big job that we do. It really is a whole um, second job. Yeah, absolutely. How do you practice self-care? Um, well, one thing that happened during COVID um, is that I had to fight for um, a long time. I would say that during those lockdown times, it just didn't exist. Um, but I've become an early riser. I wake up at 5.30. I spend an hour drinking coffee and reading a book, um, hopefully with a cat on my lap, if she will consent. And um, then I go to the gym and I'm back by, uh, or whatever my workout is that morning, and I'm back by 8 Um and either my husband will have started the morning routine or my children will have if my husband is traveling and she does a lot. And then I get them to school by 8.30. So it's really about going to bed early and um, getting exercise almost on a daily basis. That's been really, really important to me. But really only possible because the oldest isn't a baby anymore. You know, my 11-year-old can watch him for, for 20 minutes in the morning. Yeah, there's seasons, especially as I, I feel like at the ages of kids really makes a big difference as they get older, just a little bit more freedom and flexibility. Um, but there were those seasons that were so hard when they were young. I can completely relate to that. Um, so I'm curious, diving into you being a values-driven human, um, driven by impact, tell us and share with us what your top three values are and why. Uh, we kind of have like a family thing that we say um, to work hard and to be kind. Um, so those are really the two values that, that drive us as a family. Um, 
I'm every day. I'm so grateful for how much, you know, I, I have, I have love in my life. I have, I have security, um, from there, you have such a deep well, um, to give to others, you know? So I work hard. I want my children to see me working hard. I want them to see that, uh, working hard can have value. And so does resting, <laughs> uh, and fundamentally to be kind to others that our lives are bigger, um, than just ourselves. And I think in work, um, you know, that's the same thing at, at Tony's. We talk about uh, creating consu- sort of a three pillar roadmap around creating consumer awareness. Most chocolate um, eaters don't know that there's so many issues in the cocoa industry. So really talk to consumers about what's behind the chocolate story, share a chocolate, share a story. And then we try to lead by example, which I think is a really good one for personal life as well. Um, be the leader you want, you want others to, uh, to see and follow and then really inspire to act. And that's actually my Tony's title is the inspire to actress. Um, but this idea that what we do is bigger than us. Um, there's no point in changing things only for yourself. You really have to, you have to change things, uh, for the world and, and, and sort of, um, influence, um, within your sphere of influence, be really, really mindful of that. There's a common thread between every single podcast interview that I've had with transformational leaders, social impact awareness, either employees or entrepreneurs, and it is a global perspective. It is a global citizen perspective. It is an underlying common theme, and it's why I'm so passionate about helping people explore other cultures and empathy and compassion and having the conversations and sharing the stories and traveling and experiencing cultures, not just to sightsee, but to really seek to understand other people's perspectives and opinions. It shapes you in a way that you can't unsee. Um, and you move through the world completely differently. I believe you make completely different decisions. You prioritize differently when something is bigger than you. And, um, that is why I chose to interview you because you had this unwavering belief that we can do business for good and that we can actually change this. And you shared statistics with us that show it's real. And I believe humans can collaborate in beautiful ways when we start to have, you know, those, the qualities that have connected us as humans and shaped us. Um, So thank you for sharing that. What advice would you have for aspiring social impact entrepreneurs um, or employees? And what resources or support networks would you recommend they seek out? On a personal level, I'm I'm, uh, like very interested now in in cultivating more um, mentors in my life, uh, people senior to me uh, uh, with more experience. I'm really like at that mid-level point in it. You know, I'm 43. I'm like, you know, middle-ish management. <laughs> I want to, I want to, yeah, right. So I want to, I want to, um, I want to cultivate more mentors in my life. Um, and then there's the business equivalent of that as well. There are a lot of networks you can, um, you can participate in. Uh, we have a lot of benefit out of the, uh, the B Corps movement. I think that that's a really good, uh, right. B Corps is the, the business for good, um, certification, just going through that process of certification is a whole learning process and requires you to look at, your sort of all of your uh, impact footprint as a company. Um, and I just found that 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 community has been very, very helpful. Um, and I think there's different, uh, depending on your businesses, different, there's different stakeholder networks that are, are relevant to you, but I think seek out feedback, seek out, does this resonate, you know, with, with, with mentors or with other groups, does this, does this theory of change uh, resonate? Does this, uh, what am I missing? What should I be working on? I think ask questions, be curious. Those are important things. 
What are some of the questions that you would suggest, say, young, you know, young professional should ask if they're seeking out a company that they want to align with, uh, with their values and social uh, mission? It's everybody has a sustainability report these days, right? So everybody's reporting on, on what they're doing. Um, and it's hard to read those things critically if you're not per se in that industry. Um, I think that, you know, okay, here's really the key thing. I think that traditionally, you know, I've been doing this a long time. We've really focused on input related stuff. So how many trees did this company plant? How many liters of water did it save through this process? Um, uh, how much premium did it pay to coffee farmers? Uh, that's important stuff. Um, but I think what you want to look at is outcome related stuff and, um, and, and sort of penetration of the program. So, um, if you save that many liters of water, how much liters of water are you actually putting out there? Like, is this a small, um, is this a small change or a big change? Um, if you're planting trees, what was the outcome of that? Are people have access to, um, uh, different kinds of income because it's fruit trees? Is it shade related? Has the microclimate changed in any way? Is it part of a larger tree planting project that makes some kind of sense with biological corridors? Did the premium actually result in any type of higher income for farmers? It's hard to make the thing, but stop looking at what people are putting into a program, but really what the intention is to get out of it and how they're looking critically, um, at what the results are of their work. That so is, you, can, you can say, okay, we did a hundred training seminars, but okay, but did, how are the people who did in those training or how are they coming out in their careers? Are they, are they leveling up or, you know, what is the results of what you're doing? Not so much what it, what money do you spend on putting into it? Very insightful. Thank you. Tell me what your ultimate vision is for the social impact you want to create and what steps are you taking to achieve it? So what kind of legacy do you want to leave? Um, at Tony's, we have a vision right now um, that we want to have 5% of the cocoa flowing out of West Africa going through our program. Um, that's about half of what the big chocolate companies are doing, the Nestle's, the Mondelez's of the world. And uh, we believe that that will give us enough of a seat at the table um, in order that people, that we're not just like some little program, but that we are actually a scalable and scaled program that has something to say. So in that whole, um, you know, be visible, lead by example, that we, we think that scaling is going to be a really important part of getting to the impact that we want to see. Um, the change that we want to uh, see in West Africa. And then, of course, beyond 5%, there's so much more to be done. Uh, but that's sort of our stake in the sand right now that we think this is where we're going to really start um, leading a change in cocoa and showing that business can be done very, very differently, that this is a viable business model. Um, that's really important. And then, um, you know, with uh, uh, my husband and I, and where, where we focus, you know, sort of as a as families, uh, really around... Um, I mean, it's the same also in Coco, but around equity and equal chances um, to education, to chances to improve yourself. We spend a lot of time on on, uh, on mentoring and, um, yeah, I think that you have spheres of, different spheres of influence in your life. And if they make sense to you in a cohesive whole, you can really be impactful. Powerful. Any last words of wisdom for our audience? I think a lot of the, what, 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 what struck me when you said something earlier about uh, that, that there's sort of a common thread in, in, uh, in the interviews that you're doing. Um, 
and it was around you know exposure and seeing other ways of working and other ways of thinking seek that out if you if you keep hearing the same stuff uh, in your circle then you probably don't have a diverse enough uh, uh, sort of council or group of people who you're listening to um, and I think a thing that's been really helpful to me also is um, um, keeping a practice of, of gratitude in my daily life I mean truly, I am so, so lucky to be where I am in the world and I want to make sure that I never take that for granted um, and that I am, yeah, seeking out other perspectives and seeking out impact beyond, you know, just my house or even just my job. Incredible. Thank you, Yoka. So grateful for you. And the chocolate's delicious. (laughs) (laughs) It is very good. Very creamy. It is a treat. (laughs) It is. Thank you so much. Well, that concludes another episode of Well-Spoken Podcast. Remember, stay open, curious, and think abundantly to co-create a better future together.